Welcome to the Global CISO Forum, the podcast for information security executives. Welcome to the Global CISO Forum podcast. I'm your host, Amber Pedrincelli. With me today is Mr. Zachary Mitchum. He is the Chief Information Security and Compliance Officer, and he's also a finalist for the CISO Awards this year, um, presented by EC Council. Welcome to the show, Zachary. Thank you, Amber, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for making time for us. I know you're very busy. Um, looking at your just your job title, so you're CISO and Compliance Officer for North Carolina Central University. Um, you've worked in education kind of on and off for a long time. Tell me uh, what that's like. Well, I've worked at uh, uh, being in the military. I've gotten different assignments, having worked with uh, University of Tennessee in Knoxville for four years, and I've also worked with the University of Maryland uh, University College over in Bosnia Herzegovina, and I worked with uh, University of North Carolina Wilmington for ten uh, years, ten and a half years, and now I'm at uh, North Carolina Central University. You worked for the University of Maryland in Bosnia. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, the way that the way that works is when you're in the military, uh if you have special skill sets that are required, uh they'll look at that and uh they'll leverage that. So I worked as a uh social professor, assistant professor of military science over in the University of Tennessee in Knoxville and I was also trained as a certified uh, information security and um, management officer. They call it IMO information management officer. So I taught computer science, fundamentals of uh, computer science while I was in Bosnia on my tour there. Oh, wow. That must have been quite an experience. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I had a captive audience. The class studied, and they weren't going anywhere, that's mm-hmm. for sure. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. So you've had a lot of kind of mix of military and education then, is what you're saying. Well, yeah, I was 20 years as an infantry officer with the uh, U.S. Army. Wow. Uh, and while doing that, you have to have a functional area. In the Reagan era, uh, they start downsizing the military, and so as such, you had to pick, on, pick up a functional area, and I was functional area uh, 53 is what it's called, systems automation officer, and I was school trained at uh, uh, Fort Gordon, Georgia, uh, School of Information Technology, so... That was my secondary. While we're not fighting wars, we have to have something else to do, right? <laughs> and it seems so, like you stayed pretty busy. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so tell me about your role now. Is it still related to the military, or are you out? No, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I was out in 2001. I retired uh, okay. in 2001. Yeah, and from that time forward, I've worked in disparate systems, but in uh, – technology. I was the director of network services that dealt a lot in security at the New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington, North Carolina, about two and a half years. And then I worked as an assistant, uh, uh, well, not an assistant, but the uh, uh, senior army instructor for a uh, uh, ROTC assignment. That was when we were going through the uh, 2001 era well you know we had the war going on and all this terrorism and mm-hmm. decided to go back and help those young kids uh, navigate through that and I did that for about two and a half years and then I got back into higher education with the University of North Carolina Wilmington 
and I was there for ten and a half years as the information security officer, chief information security officer there. I see. So you've done a lot of educating in your career. No um, doubt, yeah. How has that helped you? Do you still do that in your role? Yeah, I mean, because it makes you uh, well-versed in being a subject matter expert on the things you've taught and you become comfortable uh, with a, a different group of people, whether it be academicians with PhDs to laymen, right? So it gives you a comfort level that you can speak articulately to whatever audience you're talking to at uh, the kind of and presenting the type of material you're presenting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not intimidated with anybody with a PhD, and I'm not uh, patronizing anyone that doesn't have it in a layman terms. It keeps me on my toes and keeps me up to date on current trends, things like that. Yeah, so that has it come in handy for your end-user training? Yes, no doubt. I mean, that's what we do is we call it Secure the Human, Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to educating uh, my constituents, uh, especially when it comes to things like teaching fishing exploits and social engineering and uh, understanding proclivities of human behavior and, and natural instincts and, and just simply telling people what's in it for them, right? It's a communal thing. Mm-hmm. So if someone breaks into our computer, guess what? Their information's in that same computer, right? So it behooves mm-hmm. them to be as secure as possible and practice a good uh, uh, security hygiene, if you will. Mm-hmm. So a buzzword of the last couple of years, probably five years at this point, has been insider threat. Um, mm-hmm. it, is that something that you've had to deal with? I mean, probably as a CISO, but any any specific specifics you can share with us? Well, not, ten, uh, not specifics that have happened to me, but tangentially, one of the largest ones you've heard of is the Snowden case that uh, was uh, was affecting our federal government uh, that I worked with the the DIS I mean DISA mm-hmm. and the uh, in my role as uh, a security officer in Bosnia I worked with DISA and I also worked with the uh, intelligence the um, uh, DIA the Defense Intelligence Agency and uh, that was to me one of the most perilous things that have happened to us in the last uh, 20 years whereby you had a person at that level with a uh, uh, top secret security uh, com- sensitive compartmentalized information clearance uh, provide that kind of information to a public sphere that was reckless you know and in the in in the uh, vein of whistleblowing there's a certain way to do that but that wasn't the right way because it put a lot of our soldiers at risk and a lot of our uh, intelligence people at risk by doing that. So yeah. to me, it hadn't happened at that level, but definitely that's one of the largest ones that I'm aware of that had an association with my previous employer, Department of Defense. Did that heighten your kind of awareness of that, that pro- problem in your other jobs? Well, we've always had to be heightened about, uh, you know, inside of threats because you have the keys to the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Uh, who's watching who? And that's always the case when you have a system like the mandatory access controls of the military. Someone's always got to be vigilant about who's doing what. And that, that upper-level uh, discretionary uh, uh, type of, uh, well, non-discretionary uh, type of uh, oversight is very important to us uh, at all levels of security. So. 
Okay, that makes sense. I'm, you know, I'm just always curious about that because it seems like sometimes, in my opinion, <clears throat> and this is just, you know, sort of my view as an outsider, it seems like security programs are designed for perfectly ethical people. And I, I just wonder sometimes what the, the contingencies are when that's not the case. Is that ever the case? <laughs> you said perfectly <laughs> ethical. That's oxymoronic, right? Right. No, that's Perfectly true. Perfectly ethical? Are you kidding? That, that <laughs> doesn't exist. I don't know if that's ever the case unless you're talking about the uh, faith that I'm in. That's the most ethical person that I can maintain. He had maintained his integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> no, I don't trust anyone when it comes to that. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I see that. That's why it's pretty, uh, you, you asked that question. And I'm I'm counter to a lot of my colleagues when they talk about ethical hacking, right? Right. And I always come back to the point of that Snowden because uh, in his mind, he was doing the right thing. But that's against the law. I mean, if you go with uh, 18 U.S. Code uh, 2510 or 1030, surreptitiously getting into someone's network without their express permission is against the law. I don't care who you are. Even trying to prove a concept, that's of no consequence. Now, if I paid you to do that, that's not hacking at all. That's just information that I passed on with you, whether it's a black hat or a white hat engagement, right? Mm-hmm. So that ethical hacker has issues associated uh, uh, to me mm-hmm. as a uh, security guy going back since 1981 that I think a lot of my colleagues, I know what it means, but it's not to me. I don't, it's just like a jumbo shrimp. It's oxymoronic to me. It's not, it's not uh, something that I would, uh, ever like you you came back with the idea of being uh perfectly ethical no such thing right Mm -hmm. and to me it's no such thing as a a white hat hacker or ethical hacking and as an absolute form right well as a as a representative of vc council (laughs) creators of the (laughs) certified ethical hacker I, I do understand the concept, but it, I, I understand. I, I humbly said the concept, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I get yeah, what you're if, saying. <laughs> but if you were to hack into any system, being a, a good uh, Samaritan, for instance, you could find yourself in jail depending on who you hack. That's true. And, and you might want to tell them before you do any of that, right? Right. And if you're prosecuted or not, you're still breaking the law. So, yeah, point you're taken. You're breaking the law. That's the law. Yeah. yeah, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> yep. and, and by the way, I am a member of the uh, CE Council in terms of uh, uh, being a certified CISO, so I understand the whole concept. I, I totally support it. Oh, I know. And we and need more of them. We need more of them. You're one of the first CISOs, if my records are correct, I think. So you were. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I you was were back in the, uh, back grandfathered. In the day, yeah. Yep, you were grandfathered yep. in. Um, yeah. So we appreciate that quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 glad I asked you about insider threat. That's a very interesting perspective. Uh, um, and then just keeping kind of on that same thing, working at universities, does that pose? I mean, you've got all those smart kids running around being reckless, right? I mean, is is that a, yeah. a special population to try to deal with? Without question, not just the kids, but you have professors as well. You know, academia is supposed to be a collaborative and open environment mm. by nature of what we're doing with uh, the type of discovery and social discourse, that kind of thing, and intellectual discourse. But uh, obviously we have to uh, maintain security where it's necessary. So we restrict a lot of things that uh, 
a lot of schools leave open. We we don't. Some schools don't even have firewalls, if you can believe that. And some schools uh, don't believe in uh, peer-to-peer file sharing being turned off. We turn those functions off in case by case because it is a legitimate means of uh, communicating information peer-to-peer. But it's only done here on a case-by-case basis. Hmm, we don't have uh, many instances where uh, strip script kiddies is what you're alluding to try to break into the network and give themselves all A's and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I've heard of cases where that was the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, situ- situations where that was the case. Yeah, I guess in my imagination, it's just like kids would think it'd be cool to hack their school and you know yeah. show that they're smarter than the than the and administration or something. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever heard of the Morris Worm? I think so, but I'm a little fuzzy on the details. 1987, in uh, proof of concept, uh, this guy probably, they suspect he was a student at MIT, did that exact thing. And that's where they came up with the first uh, virus, if you will, uh, uh, from a student that, again, trying to prove to the community that distributed computing isn't all it's hacked out to be if you don't think take serious uh, security serious so the morris worm was that kind of thing you're alluding to hmm. with college people or insiders doing certain things yeah uh, yeah i can students just you know they have more time on their hands and <laughs> they're they're young and i can see them being different than trying to secure a corporation where well, you know keep in mind you got graduate students that aren't young and you got true. non-traditional students that are 50 years old law students they're mm-hmm. grown people so when we think of college, that's my, that was a flaw of mine when I first came in with the uh, uh, presumption or assumption that uh, all college kids were 18. But, oh, right. no, <laughs> we have people from the full gamut, an adults, college professional, mm-hmm. doctors, that kind of thing. The administration, yeah, yeah. Sounds like a challenging place to work. as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, so tell me how you got into security. Well, again, I uh, was formally trained in the military in 1981 with operational security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that started with uh, just dealing with, you know, computing was at its very uh, uh, infancy uh, stage. And uh, they had a thing they call it the Army Combat Service Support Computer System, right? <laughs> it's called a tax. And as an uh, officer that was we call an administration officer, S1, I was responsible for the tax machine. And we also had a thing called ComSec, communication security, that dealt with uh, com- uh, com- radio communication, SINGAR, single channel uh, ground and air radio systems. And that's where I got my formal training. Uh, and then it just built on that. It was before any certifications came. <laughs> <laughs> came about like CISSP this 1981 so and I had to catch up to get certified to do things I had been doing certifying skills since 1994 and stuff like that right wow so it's pretty funny to me that they were asking me for certifications when I was uh, <laughs> certified by the Department of Defense Information Intelligence Agencies right yeah your knowledge uh, predated all the certifications <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that was funny right I bet but yeah I don't I don't I don't I catch up. I stay current, so I can appreciate what's happening. Yeah. But that's how I got my background. Wow! So you have I mean, a that's, that was my background, yeah. Yeah, you have a very long career in in information security. 
mm-hmm. what what keeps you going? What what keeps you motivated? Well, I mean, just uh, seeing the evolution of things that have taken place and issues that have been resolved, and some of them have not been resolved, and I like to write articles about them and mm-hmm. and challenge the status quo because we look at things so uh, linearly instead of abstractly. Uh, for instance, when uh, we have cases like uh, breaches, and we use that term so loosely, I mean, breach. Okay, so I would imagine that a major corporation has a breach of security. That's why you have to use precise terms precisely. A security breach probably takes place in a corporation every day. That's different than a data breach or uh, exposure or, uh, uh, going on. Data breaches are different than security breach. For instance, if someone found through SECM a virus on a computer, certainly they didn't put it there, right? So that's a breach of security. And hmm. that's why it is. It's definitely a breach of security. If you didn't put the virus there, how did it get there, right? Right. So that's the way I teach. I say, look, we have a security breach almost daily, but we don't have data breaches that often. So we have to be very careful about the way we explain ourselves in our industry, right? And and, and it's a very fine line. Uh, you know, Target, that was a data breach, right? And so files were disclosed and, you know, a lot of harm, but uh, you mean to tell me there are no viruses in anybody's network on any given day? Right. Huh. <laughs> I've never heard that, ex- that way? No, I haven't. I've never heard it explained that way. That's that's an interesting way to think of it. And if now that I'm going to you know, go and read a bunch of articles and it's just going to throw around <laughs> data breach and security breach and, and seem like well, it's the same thing. Well, let's do it for your computer. Just run a scan. I don't know what you use, McAfee or, uh, you know. Symantec, just run a scan. If you came up with one virus, guess what? Somebody put it there, right? Right. Security breach. Or a breach. Yeah, security breach. Exactly. Because we put those controls in place specifically for that. Firewalls, right? And IPSs and ideas. So if it's circumvented that, that means you had a breach in your security. Huh. That is interesting. But not a data particularly. Yeah. You don't have a data data breach. Yeah. No, doesn't mean a data was exfiltrated or anything, but you did have a security breach. Right. Could have been, but probably not. Could Well, you definitely had a security breach if you got a virus. Okay, no if we had buts about it, right? Yep. Right. Huh. <laughs> I like that. I like that unless perspective. You're an insider, unless you're an insider and you put it there, right? <laughs> right. Which in that case is a security breach too, right? It's true. <laughs> it's just mm. not an accident. That's right. Well, that's cool. I like I like how you think of that. So, uh, how do you use breaches? So like when when a big breach makes the news, how do you use that? <clears throat> education, obviously. I mean, Just education, you know, yeah. We, do, do we want this to happen to us? And you're not trying to like Peter and the Wolf, skies fall and all that. Uh, but you just simply say, uh, look, in order for us to prevent these types of things from happening to us, we have to maintain a, a certain kind of like, security culture in our environment. And, uh, you know, all we have to do is uh, follow standard procedures like with the ISO 27002 mapping of things like the NIST, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 618318 and all that. So, I mean, those standards are already out there for a reason. And get senior management buy-in, right? So, I mean, if the president's not willing to go out, I usually have people not even want to change their own password. Can you believe that? I want a non-expiring password. Really? Come on. So it sets the tone for that kind of thing happening. Is that like an executive level person asking for that kind of thing? 
the CEO of one of my schools. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like, are you kidding? I, obviously, as a that's an occupational hazard, right? Having right. to tell the king. Right. That's a bad idea, right? Truth to power, <laughs> so, right there. Yeah. So without question, yeah. you're too important to have a to change your password. But do you understand that your data needs to be more protected, probably than anybody else's? I mean, I can see uh, because of whaling, right? Right. You the big fish, right? And actually, guess what? You've had situations. You could just Google it where schools have had their their presidents breached for that and mm. they've lost money like two million dollars because they got fallacious information that they felt came from the the chancellor or whatever mm-hmm. they bit and there you go because <laughs> they uh, they didn't have a lot of buy-in from their higher uh, management the upper echelon you know? right those guys don't show up to security awareness training and don't think Not much applies all. to they them be the first one i had some uh chances that were outstanding though they would do that we mm-hmm. had a program uh, the Chancellor's Safety and Security Council, and they would come in and open that for that reason. But, I mean, it evolved over time. We had several chances, so there you go. Not here at this school, but other schools, right? Right. And there you go. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. You need to be the one opening the Security Council, uh, I mean, the security uh, events that we have, mm-hmm. the show that you support, and whatever the king supports, everybody else falls in line, right? Right. So how do you get that? How, is that a skill you've had to learn, or have you always been pretty good with that? Well, it's about the login, what's in it for me. Mm. Uh, and I have, it, it, okay, it depends on how serious the organization is about security. If they bury the security officer under some inoculus branch of mm-hmm. their IT, you won't. But if you're very serious, you report to a, the very minimum, the CIO, and then you're able to speak to board of trustees, the chancellor himself or herself, and there you go. But uh, if you're burying the uh, the CISO under several layers of you know uh, bureaucracy, you're not serious about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's the way I've always approached it. I've been pretty successful over my 16 years working on higher education. Yeah, I mean you're still doing it, so you must be <laughs> you must be doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, I started two two programs at two major universities, so. They yeah. they didn't have any, and they started. And when I left, it was a vivacious, vivacious award winning. As a matter of fact, we won some awards at some schools. So wow, I think I, I was pretty instrumental in that happening. It just didn't happen by itself, but it's a collective effort on everybody's part. Mm-hmm. The whole so, environment. Is that a role that you like to do to sort of build something as opposed to inheriting course, a big system? Scratch. Yeah, you like it from Exactly, yeah. because there's nowhere you can go but up, right? Right, right. I mean, <laughs> if it's terrible, it's because of you. Uh, that's <laughs> if true, it, too. If it's good, it's because of you. There was nothing here before you got here. So if it's bad, it's always like your parents say, always leave things better than you left it, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a testament on, you know, how business is conducted, whether you've done, uh, you know, audits and you were successful, and it speaks for itself. It's proofs in the pudding, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you look at your past, you say, have you been in the news? No, uh, unless it was positive. Mm-hmm. Have you had any major breaches? No, unless, you know, and there you go. So it's pretty easy to track when you've made an a, a, a impact as opposed to you assuming somebody else's role. So I always like just starting from scratch, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like baking a cake. You don't bake the cake in the middle of the cake, right? I'll take over from here. Right, I got it. Cake's yeah. over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you do you get to do kind of the hands-on technology stuff nowadays? or? 
Well, I've, I've worked from the keyboard to the boardroom. That's what you do starting out. You have to do scans like uh, common vulnerability exposure scans with Qualys. I've done those, and we have things with CompuTrace, Absolute Software. I, I'm 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 still technical. I, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not separated from you know by any means. I have to teach these guys some of them. Uh-huh. Some of them come in very high end technically, but they don't understand the full gamut of what CISOs do. They think that. That's all they do is the keyboard, and that's not what I do anymore. I hired another person, and that changed over some of those operational day-to-day things over to them mm-hmm. while I'm having to create programs and security plans and strategic goals and supporting the chancellor and having to speak and do other things. And this school, I love it because my university now, they appreciate my role, and they understand what I'm doing, and they're very satisfied in what I'm doing. Well, that's great to hear. I always wonder mm-hmm. if CISOs, because, you know, so many of you guys start out really technical, and then your your job mm-hmm. role kind of brings you further and further away from that. And I always wonder if you mm-hmm. kind of miss it on some level, just being at no, the keyboard. I don't miss like you it said. at all because you, you have still to do, do it. it. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, exactly. I don't miss it. But, I mean, it's, very, it's, it's not as complicated as a lot of people paint it out to be. You kick off a scan with an automated system that's technologically astute, some AI. It tells you what the vulnerabilities are you go through and do your little screening to see if these are actual vulnerabilities or they're false positives, and then you send it out to a system administrator to remediate. Then you check again. Okay, that's operational, right? Right. It's not like I had to painstakingly go through three billions of line of code to determine what a vulnerability was. It's an automated system, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's Nessus, Qualys, you know, Metasploit, whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of people try to play that up. Now, one of the things that has to happen when you do computer security incident response, which I'm one about 50 people certified by the uh, School of uh, Engineering at uh, Institute at uh, Carnegie Mellon, mm. uh, the com- uh, computer security incident handlers. Now, there's a certification for that through GAC, but the one that kicked it off was through the SEI, uh, the School of Engineering, Software Engineering Institute in Carnegie Mellon. It's like 50 worldwide or something, hmm. and I'm one of those. But to be able to go in and do artifact analysis and root cause and, 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 and incident investigations, I like doing that. That's what my role as a CISO is very rewarding. And, and, and thankfully, we don't have to use that role much, but I'm yeah. competent and confident in what I do in that respect. Yeah, like thankfully you don't have to use it much, but, yeah, that's that's uh... – it's a cool thing to be very uh, competent in. I can see that being a, yeah. a way to stand out on your resume. Not that you need that, but it sounds like you're really good at staying abreast of everything that's going on. Um, mm. Do you have a lot of resources to keep learning? Is that something that, that you focus on? Yeah, I mean, you, you get the Sean's CISSP. You have to stay abreast of the current trends. You know, you read, you write. You go to conferences, you talk to your peers. I was invited to the GDS uh, Information Security Summit out in Austin where I spoke with my colleagues about things in higher education. I was one of the representatives there. And we had other industries like Department of Defense. You had, uh, what is it, the one with the faucet, color, color, faucets, that they were there, GE, hmm. and uh and just be able to do think tank type things and talking and discussing things in various areas. Uh, ransomware is ransomware, whether it was at Humana or whether it's at a university. It's just different variants of it, right? Want right. to cry crypto. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can learn from anyone, basically, is what you're saying. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, since I run the conferences here at EC Council, I really appreciate that <laughs> conferences are a good way to, to stay abreast of your industry and everything. So, yeah. Without question. We agree. Well, your application or your nomination um, for CISO of the Year is outstanding, and I hope that I get to give you a big trophy in Atlanta uh, in a couple well, months here. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just appreciative that someone saw fit to nominate, nominate me and be in that category with those kind of guys. They're some very uh, impressive guys that are on that list. So and you I'm probably haven't even seen your your nomination, have you? Not necessarily. No. No. Nope. <laughs> someone did it for you. Yeah. Well, I could send it to you. It was great. Um, the committee rated it very, very highly. So, uh, you know, you're definitely in the running. I hope that. Uh, you can make it to the award ceremony and okay yeah well thank you so much for taking the time and congrats on being a finalist okay well thank you for having me i'm looking forward to it all right thank you bye-bye okay bye-bye thank you for tuning in to another edition of the global CISO forum the podcast for information security executives